This message began with a single word. If you missed it, the word was this. A friendship begins with a small introduction. Hi, my name's Grant. A marathon begins with one small step. A recipe begins with one ingredient, preferably bacon. A song begins with one note or one chord. A revolution begins with one small change. A plan begins with one small idea. A life begins with one small breath followed by a cry. A future begins with one small moment, hopefully this moment. A change begins with one small decision. I'd like to you to, to join me in watching a small short film. It's going to take 107 seconds of your life. I want you to watch the details. I want you to watch the progression. I want you to see the powerful moments that compile time after time after time when you just start small. Let's watch it together. amazing what starts with Duplo. This is a new series called Start Small. According to the dictionary, these are the definitions of the two words we're going to become very familiar with over the next couple of weeks. The word start is a verb. It means to begin, to set out as on a journey or activity, to appear or to come suddenly into action, to life or into view. We're going to move in this journey, which I think is going to be good for every single one of us because the truth is right now, life feels a little bit stuck. Life feels strange, life feels tired, life feels small. That word small means of limited importance or size, not big, but little. In my words and in my own interpretation, small means not a big deal, insignificant, easily overlooked, but we're going to learn something over the next number of weeks that in God, small is infinitely powerful. The Bible lays out a truth that starting small can have an unbelievable impact well, it's almost like compounding interest. If you string enough small things together, you can actually create something that can revolutionize your life, your heart, your world, your community. So for the next couple of weeks, I'd love to test this idea. We've talked about it before, about four years ago. I think it's about time to bring it back up again. And the idea is this. Small things done over a long period of time create the greatest impact. I would add to it with these words. When we start small, our world changes the world changes. 
Now this is counterintuitive because the world is obsessed with the exact opposite question. The world's question is this, what's the next big thing? I mean, all you have to do is turn on your television set and commercial time will vie for your attention saying, this is the next big thing. And the world will push even harder and ask, not only what's next the big, what's the next big thing, but how are you going to be a part of it? How are you going to participate in it? So we get caught up in this idea of dreaming big and thinking big and planning big because we don't want to miss out. How does the phrase go again? Go big or go home. Maybe you've heard other phrases. Don't sweat the small stuff. It even happens in church. We become a follower of Jesus and we just start a checklist. What am I allowed to do? What can't I do? What's not allowed anymore? Where do I get a Bible? Do I need to learn Hebrew and Greek? I should start witnessing. I need to become a televangelist. Where do I rent a stadium? And at some point, we just end up feeling overwhelmed. And when we're overwhelmed, we get frozen. And when we're frozen, we don't move. And when we don't move, we just stop and watch the rest of the world as it seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we feel smaller and smaller and smaller. Jesus has this habit of flipping everything upside down. The world keeps asking, what's the next big thing? Jesus seems to have a very different tact, a very different angle. Jesus asks a different question. I believe his question for us in this season is, will you start small? Now stick with me. I've been working on this for several months, several years, and it's morphed into our teaching over the next couple of weeks. But Jesus keeps hitting me as I read through the New Testament with what I call divine opposites. Every time the world or his followers pressure Jesus to go big, he does the exact opposite and goes small. I think we can say this with some level of conviction. God values the small. Let me paint this picture for you. Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. Okay, I thought someone would say amen to that statement. I really did. I mean, like I set it up. I thought someone at least threw the camera. Let's try that one more time. I know some of you are out of practice. It's been a while, but okay, let's try that one more time. Jesus Christ is the king of the universe. Thank you very much. Colossians says this. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. That's just good Bible right there. We should read that over and over again. Here's the crazy thing. That infinite God, that huge God, that God that defies all explanation, you can't even wrap words around him, that king of the universe becomes a tiny little baby. Matthew 121, it says, Mary, she will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I know it's early, but Merry Christmas. God became small. Why? You and me. That huge God begins to express himself in Scripture. In one place in the early part of the Bible, God speaks to a prophet by the name of Elijah. He's putting on an amazing show. But when the show is over, the God of heaven, that infinite God who made himself into a tiny little baby, baby speaks in a still small voice. Let me read it to you. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. 
the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a still, small voice. The voice of God in a whisper. Why does God whisper important things? Here's my conviction. It's so that I have to lean in. So that I have to be quiet, that I have to choose quiet, that I have to match God in his silence and listen very, very, very carefully so I don't miss a single choice word. Now, let's not mistake it. Can God shout? Oh, absolutely. And sometimes he does, but most often in my experience, he goes small. A still small voice. Jesus actually taught the principle of small in the New Testament. He's teaching about faith. And you would expect him to step up and say, come on, people. You need some big faith, like huge faith. Step up, visualize it, go bigger, go home. But it actually sounds more like this. Not, not, not go bigger, go home, but get small and come home. Jesus actually said this. If we have faith the size of a mustard seed, for the record, that's small. Listen to his words. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Can I show you a picture of a mustard seed with perspective on a human finger so that you, that's small. God says, that is the amount of faith that you need to be able to speak to Mount Baker and have it shift back 15 feet. That's the amount of faith that you need to be able to make the twin sisters start quivering in fear because a follower of Jesus is going to step up and say, I need you to move to the right 16 feet. Wow. And it keeps happening. Jesus said if we want to be great in his kingdom, we need to take a small role. Jesus said this, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all Jesus keeps teaching. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, don't think big, think small, and start small because what you are called to do, the world may not notice, but the God of the universe will. That's why we keep finding the king of the universe doing things that seem so counter to what we think he should be doing. We think parades, inaugurations, revolution, let's do that, and instead he's washing feet. healing the blind, announcing his resurrection from the dead by making breakfast on a beach. <laughs> it keeps going. Jesus said, without faith like a small child, we can't inherit his kingdom. I love this story in scripture. The disciples are having an argument. The argument's basically this. Who's the biggest? Who's the best? Who's the greatest? Who's got the biggest reputation? who goes big and actually gets noticed. And instead of going big, Jesus goes small. In answer to their ego-driven questions, here's what happens. The Bible says Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. Not childish, childlike. 
But I love the fact, here you go, you've got 12 guys all competing for the corner office and the nameplate. It's just like, God, who's going to get to be your vice CEO of the universe? This is great. And Jesus pulls a five-year-old and says, there you go. Back up, big men. Here's your picture. I love that. And it keeps going. Jesus said if we were faithful in small things, we would be entrusted with big things. Being faithful in a little, that is good stewardship. And God says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Can we just be honest, whether we're at home, in a coffee shop, someone actually sent me a picture this morning, they're watching us from an RV somewhere in southern Oregon. I'm so glad that you're here, Radners. (laughs) But let's face it, we don't think this way very well, do we? There's something in us that just dreams big, and when God calls us to dream small, it just doesn't sit very well. I mean, and why is it so easy to forget that just like the the list at the beginning of the message, that this journey of a lifetime of following starts with one small decision or one small step? We seem to trivialize these small beginnings, but what do we do with the fact that it's God's idea? Some of you aren't convinced. Let's keep going. Old Testament story. God said, start small to a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. I'm going to try and say Zerubbabel a lot of times and not mess it up. You can pray, okay, all right? So God gives this guy named Zerubbabel a huge building project. It's mammoth in scope. But even that mammoth building project started with Zerubbabel. And there's this beautiful picture of Zerubbabel standing with a string and a weight It was called a plumb line. And before there were laser levels and transits and squares, they used a weight and a string to establish something as plumb and square and straight so that the building would end up being plumb and square and straight. And God says to this project manager, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. To see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. God's saying, we're going to get there on my building project. Oh, by the way, it's my building project, not your building project. Every building in the world sits on God's land. We should always remember that. And he says, it's got to start with a string and a weight. And that's okay, Zerubbabel. You be faithful starting right there. And this is going to turn out really, really well. It's a huge building project. Starts with something as insignificant as a piece of string with a weight on the end of it. The project that God wants to do inside of you and me, it's going to start small. We need to embrace that. So God said start small to an Old Testament guy by the name of Zerubbabel. He also said start small to the early church. The church in its original construct started small, and yet God built it into this worldwide community, this worldwide movement that continues to roll out to this day. But if you boil it all the way down to its essence in the beginning, it started with 11 people from diverse backgrounds all coming together around Jesus. And yes, I said 11 because they hadn't filled Judas's spot yet, which is encouraging to me because it means this. Even Jesus had some issues in his small group. <laughs> Makes me feel better, all right? But can you think about that for just a second? Eleven 
broken human beings from diverse political backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, all found a way to unify because they put Jesus in the middle. That's a clue. When we put Jesus in the middle, what starts as small can change the whole world. And that group started small and they started leveraging small opportunities. Let me read uh, kind of the character sketch of the original church. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And you should underline these next words in your Bible and enjoying the favor of all the people. Not just the people inside of God's club, but everyone outside too. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Did you see that description? It doesn't seem that significant. What kind of things were they were doing? They were learning together. They were eating together. They were praying together. And God allowed them to witness miracles. Anybody else watching this morning need a front row seat on a miracle today? I do. Let me share one with you. A couple of years ago, we decided to do a project as a church planting house churches in Thailand. A number of you stepped up. We could plant a house church in Thailand for 300 bucks. That seems crazy, right? We had an anonymous donor match the $300, and we planted hundreds and hundreds of house churches in a little isolated province in Thailand. And God took that small investment, and he's multiplied it over and over and over again. I'd like to show you a picture of a miracle from two weekends ago when they hosted a baptismal service with the house churches that you helped plant. Can I see the picture? Yeah, there it is. Um, in one day, they baptized 1,435 new believers in a predominantly Buddhist community where to follow Jesus will cost you everything. What was our investment? 300 bucks. <laughs> Don't ever try to convince me that God can't do something with small. <laughs> that original church saw miracles. They sacrificed. They met in homes. They met as a group. They ate. They were grateful. They praised God. And it says this was the, the implication. The community, the community outside of their walls began to favor them because of the good that they were doing in the name of Jesus. I love that last statement, the favor of all the people. That happened because of one truth. They were connected to the vine. Not only did God say start small to Zerubbabel, and to the original church, he also said it to you and me today in the 21st century. I believe that's what God is whispering to our church right now. I need you to start small. Your life feels so overwhelming. So much has changed in the last six months. 
Everything feels to be upside down and we are so desperately trying to grab a hold of whatever normal (laughs) used to be or could be in the future. And I believe God is saying this to our church family. I just need you to start small. Starting small starts with being connected directly to the vine. Here are the words of Jesus. I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, You can probably pull off some really cool stuff and it'll go well for you and you might even climb up the corporate ladder and be able to get yourself into a different tax bracket. Is that what your Bible says? Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. God told the original church, God told Zerubbabel, God told his disciples, God is telling us, the connection you build with me is more important than any building you will ever build. Let me show you how this works. I took a picture of my jasmine plant yesterday morning. Okay, let me show you a picture of it. There's my back deck. There's my jasmine plant. Okay. When we put that in the ground earlier this year, it was about six to eight inches tall. Stuck it in the dirt, watered it, put a trellis up behind it, and it started just crawling its way up. It's done pretty good considering the summer. The branches of that plant receive their sustenance their nutrition and everything they need from the stem, that main vine that goes down into the ground. The branches are supported by the trellis, but without the vine, those branches die. I'll tell you, if I take a pair of gardening shears and clip that plant off right at the bottom, it doesn't matter how glorious that trellis is, that plant's going to die. It's the way it works. So think of it this way. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, and the trellis is the structure that you're building your life on. Here is what I know because I've had a front row seat on it for the last six months. People who are deeply connected to the vine have thrived in this past season of uncertainty. People who know Jesus intimately, derive their identity from him, know that when Jesus said 365 times in the Bible, do not be afraid, that he actually meant it. People that are engrafted into the vine, they have not gone backwards and succumbed to fear. They've actually thrived in the last six months. And I've been watching you. (laughs) And it's been really fun. Scary, but fun. People who are connected to the vine have thrived. People who were addicted or attached to the trellis and the trellis alone, the trellis of their life experience, the trellis of their expectations, the trellis of their fear, even the trellis of their church and its experience, people that were attached to their preferences and their opinions, they've struggled. They've struggled. It simply means this. If you're going to recapture your life, you need to start small. And starting small means you have to be connected to Jesus and Jesus alone. 
Even if you think of this church as your trellis, if you've had this idea that as long as I go to the building and the staff does what they're supposed to and they produce the classes that I want and Andy you know, gets his game on and actually does what I want him to on a Sunday morning, that is going to help me thrive. Can I tell you something? This building, this staff, this worship, all of this, this is not Jesus. It's supposed to point you to Jesus. And here's the beautiful part of it. At some point, we're going to disappoint you. Jesus will not. He will challenge you. That's why he keeps saying, don't get connected to the trellis. Get connected to me. There's nothing wrong with the trellis. It will help you grow, but don't mistake one for the other. It's interesting. The branches can actually live without the trellis, but not without the vine. There's nothing bad about the structure of your life or your church, but if you think your trellis is more important than Jesus... Let me say this as lovingly and gently as I can. If you think anything is more important than your relationship with Jesus, you are wrong. So start small today. Start today with the decision to put Jesus ahead of everything. That means you have to put Jesus ahead of your opinion, Jesus ahead of your preference, Jesus ahead of your politics. I'm going to say that again. Jesus ahead of your politics. You know what I love about being a follower of Jesus? I already have a king. I already have a kingdom. I don't need to sign up for anything else. And at the end of time, at the end of time with Jesus, he wins. It's a beautiful place to be. I'm not saying don't be involved. I'm just saying put Jesus ahead of your politics. Jesus ahead of your church experience. Jesus ahead of your church expectations. Jesus ahead of everything, I promise you. There's so much freedom in that simple decision, even though it's small. So we started talking about Zerubbabel and his building project. God gave him some instruction and some advice that went along with the plumb line and the string, the weight and the string. He said this, Zerubbabel, just so you know, as you're going about this project... Here's what I want you to hear. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God of hosts. The original Hebrews would have said it this way. Hey, you're trying to rebuild your normal. <laughs> Just so you know, you can't do it with your own strength. It's not by might. You're not strong enough. You can't build it with the strength of an army, not by power. You can't pull that off only. But the only way that you can do it is to Use the power of God's spirit. And I want to remind you again that the God that we love has this thing about starting small. So today we're going to start small. I believe as a church we're being called back to the vine, not the trellis. The reality is this, the trellis is too shaky. You know why I couldn't bring my jasmine plant? Because I, I actually grabbed it by the trellis and the whole thing started like coming out of the pot. It was like, oh, I better take a picture instead. <laughs> that plant's pretty fragile. The only thing that's strong about it is the vine. And that's the key. So how do we go about doing this? Let me make a few just basic suggestions. 
Some of us need to embrace one small shift with regards to our reality. Six months ago, I'll be honest with you, when I heard that we were going to have to go exclusively online and all this stuff just came pouring, I'm like, <laughs> one week in, two weeks in, I'm at home working from <laughs> an older bedroom in the upstairs corner of our house. When I came back in, I walked into my office for the first time after having been gone for several weeks and my heart broke just a little bit because my, my office was set up relationally to connect with people. I have a sofa, I've got some comfortable chairs, a lot of people have come and sat in those chairs. We've laughed, we've cried. It's set up relationally and I realized I'm gonna need to embrace this new reality. So I moved the chairs out of the way, I pulled the coffee table aside, I had my workspace where I do my sermon prep. In the center I created this little digital studio so that I could do something. If, if you, uh, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday again, I've had the privilege of doing something every Wednesday morning during this pandemic. It's called, uh, it's called Q&R, and we do it on jesus.net slash live. Jesus.net is one of the largest evangelical websites in the world. And they asked me if I would be willing to do, basically, and ask me anything every Wednesday morning for 30 minutes. So this chat pops up and I stick a camera in front of my face and I answer live questions. Just a few weekends ago, or just a few Wednesdays ago, we had people from Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, Indonesia, South Africa, France, England, multiple countries, multiple people, and we were talking about Jesus. It's on YouTube. If you want to go check it out, you're welcome to. I'm taking a break this Wednesday, but we'll be back two Wednesdays from now. I needed to embrace the shift that God had, had, had somehow in his sovereignty and his providence saw this as an opportunity, and I couldn't stand to walk back into my office and have my heart broken every single morning, so instead I just reconstructed my office. Here's my new normal. And God's been doing it. Some of us need to embrace one small shift instead of fighting against it. Here's another suggestion. Maybe you need to pray one small prayer for the ability to actually appreciate the small. Some of us are still struggling. It's like, but I feel like I'm called to something big. Even if you are, you have to start small. So you should start praying that way. Some of us need to make one small effort to help someone. So many of you did with our farm fresh neighboring over a thousand boxes of farm fresh produce that went out all over our community. But some of you are looking for one more step. I don't know if you've seen pictures from the devastation of the wildfires in California, Oregon, and Washington, but we work together with the, in, a, in a global partnership with a group called Samaritan's Purse. They are looking for volunteers to go and help rebuild and walk alongside of people who have lost everything. If you're interested, samaritanspurse.org, because maybe God is going to call you to make one small sacrifice, take a week of vacation, and actually drive down to Oregon and love some people who've lost absolutely everything. And you're not going to go and help them reclaim old stuff. You might bring something completely new. A God who restores broken buildings puts lives back together again and brings hope in areas that are absolutely devastated. Here's one more suggestion. Maybe you need to find one small blessing to thank God for. About a month and a half in, I started thanking God for my 12-second commute. <laughs> From my kitchen to my upstairs office, about 12 seconds. And I started realizing something. I have way more time. This is actually cool. I could probably get used to that. 
Thanking God for the small blessings can turn an inconvenience into an opportunity. And now we've come to a moment of decision for all of us. My final suggestion today on how to start small is to take a stand. And we're going to do that literally in just a moment. It's not a contest, it's an opportunity. Moving from a a seated position to a standing position is a transition from your head of about 24 inches. (laughs) But it can make a significant difference in the way you approach your life. The reality is this. If you're on Team Jesus, there is no other team. I love being on Team Jesus. It means I pick my side. I have my king. I will use my voice to point people towards him. I've chosen my side, not my partisan side, not to mask or not to mask, not Mac or PC, not Ford or Chevy. I only have one team. I'm proud to wear the jersey of Team Jesus because I did not earn it. My Bible describes it as a robe of righteousness that I have no business putting on, but it's a gift that Jesus comes and wraps around my shoulders. And I carry that mantle, which means I am here for his honor and his glory. It means that I have chosen a final authority through the word of God, even when it makes me uncomfortable. That means I don't take my talking points from culture. That means I will press against the flow of sin in my own life because I'm merely a branch. And he's the vine. So what we're going to do is this. I'm going to challenge you to take a stand for Jesus and make a small gesture, which is to move from sitting to either standing or kneeling in just a moment. I want to challenge those of you that are at home. I know it may feel like there's a little more distance. There's really not. The same God who is standing with me on this platform. Just so we're clear, I'm not up here alone. Ever. That's been very helpful in these last six months when this room was completely empty. I'm not alone. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. (laughs) Good company. Good company. But if you're at home, I want to encourage you. You're going to change your posture too. Mom and dad, your kids seeing you stand or kneel in the presence of God is the most powerful gift you could ever give them. Some of you are like, Grant, I'm sitting alone in a coffee shop. If I stand up in the corner with my phone, that would be weird. Let me ask you a question. Who are you more concerned with when it comes to their opinion? The people in the coffee shop that don't know you or the God of the universe who called you to make a small stand? If you're watching in your car, could I be so bold as to challenge you to pull to the side of the road? I'm not sure why you're watching your device in your car anyway while you're driving, but I'm just going to say that, but... I actually got a picture last night from a friend who was driving down I-5 listening to the service live. And when we had this moment, he pulled off on the ditch side, (laughs) got out of his car and stood at attention. He's a Marine. He stood at attention beside his car. 
for those of you in the room, I'm going to invite you to do that as well. Stand at home. Stand in your living room. Stand in your coffee shop. Stand here. Make a small shift in posture. And let's see what happens when a group of people start small. So I've asked the worship team if they would sing a very specific song today. I love this song. It's full of declarations. I want to challenge you. When you hear truth and you say, I'd stand for that. I would stand for that. Then I'm going to ask you to do that. To change your posture. If God is not ashamed of us, why would we be ashamed of him? Let's worship together.
Several years ago, I was at a community roundtable, and I met a friend who's as different than me as you can possibly be. I'm a Jesus follower. He's an atheist. We are on the opposite ends of the spectrum in every single way, and yet we've still found a way to become very good friends. Years ago, I did a series called Bent on the Life of Joseph, and I gave my buddy a copy of the Bible, and I said, would you read this story for me? And over the years, he's actually become one of my greatest sermon feedback people because he asks me a different set of questions than church people do. He's read more Bible than most believers that I know. And he has serious questions. Months ago, we were sitting at a coffee table, and he said, okay, So one more time, let me get this straight. You believe that God created everything out of nothing. You believe that God has a chosen people called Israel. You believe that Old Testament prophets predicted everything about Jesus some 700 plus years before he even showed up. You believe that virgins get pregnant. You believe Old Testament prophets get swallowed by fish and get puked up on beaches so that revival can break out. You believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, was wrongfully accused of blasphemy and treason, and died a martyr's death on a cross so that he could come back to life again three days later 
so that he could forgive every bad thing you've ever done wrong, call you both saint and son, and that someday he's coming back again to take all of his family with him to a heaven that he's going to have to recreate a second time because the first one's just not quite good enough. That's what you're actually saying? You believe that? Yes. All of it. All of it. You want your life back? I'm not exactly sure I want my life back from six months ago. I think I want this life. A life where Jesus is the vine and I'm simply a branch. And we can recognize a trellis for what it is, but we don't get attached to that. May the God of heaven today allow us to walk boldly into a world that so desperately needs people with love, gentleness, and respect to say, I have a king. I have a kingdom. My king is Jesus. And that's the team I'm on. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God be merciful to you and may he give you peace this week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people at home, in coffee shops, in cars, and in this room agreed together and said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.